Well, if you want to follow along in the Word of God, there's a Bible in the pew before you. Uh, We're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, and reading from verse 50 to verse 58, the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 to the end of the chapter. This is God's Word. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Well, we've come here today as a memorial. A memorial is an occasion, uh, a gathering, a time, or even a monument by which we remember. We think back with warm and longing thoughts, particularly we think back, firstly, on our friend Pete, our brother, our friend. Uh, Remembering is important in the midst of our heartbreak we remember the fullness of his friendship and the love and the servanthood and the servant attitude that he displayed in our midst. We've had a tribute paid to him. We've been undoubtedly each one of us paying our own tribute this week privately, talking with each other, talking with Lorraine, remembering him, his warmth, his affection, his love, his support, his comfort, his service to the church, his friendship, his sense of humor. And and humanly speaking, those things will last with us, at least I expect they will, until the day we die. We will remember Pete until the day we die. But we would have to say as Christians, that's the way the world thinks about death. The world comforts itself with memorials of somebody's character. And it's not wrong to do that. We will remember Pete. We will remember Pete. We will remember those loved ones who have gone before us. But remembering Pete uh, is not what is going to keep us until the Lord calls us unto himself. The memory of Pete will not sustain us uh, in and of himself in our own times of trial Rather, there is a greater memorial than the memory of our dear and our beloved Pete. It is the memorial, the memory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is our thoughts of him, 
his work on our behalf and the resurrection of our Savior. That is the memorial, that is the hope that is real and true and present for the Christian. And it is the memorial that will carry us through to the life that is to come. To put it another way, we're going to remember Pete most certainly, but we're going to remember the Savior that saved Pete. We're going to remember the Savior that will raise Pete up and raise us as Christians up. We will remember the resurrection of the dead. And Paul speaks of that great memorial, that that thinking, that remembrance of what is going to be a future event. He's taught them previously in Corinth about the resurrection, and he's going to teach them again about the resurrection as a way of setting their minds on the present and the future in a way which will actually sustain them throughout all their days. Initially, Paul is speaking to them in Corinth about the resurrection because there was a debate in the church at Corinth. Some were saying that there is no resurrection from the dead. We go back to verse 12. He says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If we've taught you the truth, he's saying that Christ is raised Why are some of you going around troubling the saints, saying there is no resurrection? Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul's making it very clear. If there's no resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, then the Christian faith falls apart at the seams. There is no faith worth holding on to. He says in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's to say, if Christ was not raised from the dead and ascended to glory, then we've only got hope for Jesus in this life, not the life to come. And the Christian is the person who you should pity the most because we're believing a fool's errand. We're believing a lie. But Paul says, no, actually, there was a resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and there is a resurrection from the dead. And Paul's building on this argument, what if Christ was not raised? His simple answer is, if Christ is not raised, then neither will the Christian be raised to life. And perhaps you're here today and you're not, you don't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You don't believe in God and and you're coming up with the objection, well, this message is just going to be another one of those crutches that Christians need to lean on because they can't cope with the realities of life. I want to say to you today, if you're here thinking that, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Christians surely need a crutch. And dear friends, I'll say to you, we need a whole lot more than a crutch to get us through the troubles of life. And in fact, so do you, dear friend. You just don't know it. We need more than a crutch. We need a savior. We need a savior who's taken away our sins by dying on the cross, who can give us righteousness before God by living a righteous life. We need a savior who was laid in the ground but was raised from the dead and ascended to glory. That's the savior we need. Blessed crutch indeed is such a savior. 
That's the Savior of whom Paul is writing about, who was raised from the dead. What does he say about the resurrection, both of our Lord and of the Christian? The first thing he says in verse 50 of our text that we've read is who can receive the kingdom of heaven? Who can go to heaven when they die? And he says this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about physical life there. Flesh and blood, life. He says physical life as we know it now, us here today, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God as we are. Why? Because flesh and blood, he says, is perishable. It's subject to decay. It's subject to death. It's subject to sorrow. Pete is an example of that. And dear friends, so will you be. We all will be unless our Lord comes again. And and Paul's point is this, that the perishable flesh and blood, us, cannot inherit the imperishable heaven, life eternal with God. Human life, even as it is now, as we're sat here today, notwithstanding human death, human life cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It is not fit for the purpose of living with God eternally. Paul is saying that even we who are alive need to be changed. A change needs to happen in us for us to inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says that in verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. All shall be changed whether alive at the coming of Christ or those who have been buried in the grave. We shall all be changed. There is a necessity to change what we are, flesh and blood, so that we can enter heaven eternally. We've seen it in this last week, friends. You've seen it in your own lives. Our present form is subject to sickness, to age, to decay, and to death. And it's not fit for eternal life as it is. That's made very clear for us in Revelation 21 verse 4, where we hear of that eternal life with God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. The decay of suffering and decay while in the presence of God. That's not heaven, dear friends. The Bible has a word for that. It's the name hell, an eternity of suffering. But Paul says we're going to be changed. How are we going to be changed? Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet that's the sign of the coming of christ again christ is coming again and and he's not going to come in the way he came first time as a as a gentle babe born in a barn he's coming as the conquering almighty god and when he comes the trumpet shall sound scripture says we shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye instantaneously miraculously The trump shall resound, we read, and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed, says Paul. Both the living and the dead will be 
changed. No aging, no imperishability. Our bodies will no longer be subject to the curse that God has placed on man, but then our bodies and souls reunited together in the resurrection will only be subject to blessing. For the Christian and the sincere Christian, there will be no longer living in the valley of the shadow of death, but we will live before the smiling face of Almighty God. That's the point of what Paul is saying. We shall be changed. Pete's soul has already gone into the presence of God and has been made perfect in holiness. His body lies in the grave still united to Christ, and will be raised imperishable. I don't know what he's going to look like in the resurrection. I don't know what age he'll be in the resurrection. I'm hoping to come back a few inches taller in the resurrection myself. But however tall I am, I'll be imperishable. And so will the Christian. You see, friends, death for the Christian is not the end. Death will not win. We're told the perishable body must put on imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. The age of mortality passes away and Christ ushers in the age of blessed immortality. Paul says this, verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. Oh, what a contrast there is now between this present age and what the Christian will be. What the Christian will be eternally. And we're told that that process of resurrection and change and imperishability that is given to Christians is the fulfillment of an old saying. Many of you will know it. Death is swallowed up in victory. <clears throat> o death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. comes from the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 25. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. The gospel of God will run its course throughout this world and God will and has removed the veil of death that has laid across this earth. Listen, God will remove the reproach of his people. You know what a reproach is, don't you? It's a rebuke, a stern and serious rebuke. God removes that from his people. But then it says, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Comes from the prophecy of Hosea chapter 13 and verse 14. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son. For at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. That's a lot less triumphant than the way Paul uses it. 
that the prophet is saying that that God's compassion is hidden from his people. He's asking a question, uh, shall I remove death sting? They've turned their back upon him. Judgment has come upon them. And God is saying to them, will I remember you? Will I keep you? Will I deliver you from all your sins and from death itself? Paul says God will remember his people. God will remember his people. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We're told, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What was a question in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, is really answered well. God will not forget his people. Friends, those of you who were at the burial and the funeral, we drove through Oakwood Cemetery, did we not? Thousands and thousands of gravestones, thousands of people buried there. And if we're being perfectly honest about it, many of them forgotten. I suspect in two or three generations, I'll be forgotten. That's just the way it is. Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all her sons away. We're gone, and we're forgotten. But God never forgets his children. Paul tells us in the resurrection of the dead, God remembers his sons. God remembers his daughters. Death is overcome. How is it overcome? We read this earlier in the passage, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are fallen asleep. First fruits is the idea of that which comes first from the harvest or from the crop. Christ is the first to be raised. And those who love him and are united to him by faith shall be raised also to everlasting life. Let's be very clear about this, friends. Scripture tells us that the resurrection will come to everyone. If you're here today, you don't believe in God, you're going to be raised from the dead. If you're here today and you do believe in God, you're going to be raised from the dead. There will be a general resurrection from the dead. For the Christian, those who love Christ and cling to him, who trust in him for salvation and not themselves or anything or anyone else, the resurrection will be unto life and blessedness and immortality and imperishability friend if you're here today and you do not have christ as your savior scripture says you will be raised also to a resurrection of judgment and condemnation where the sorrows and hardships and trials of this life are but a shadow of the trials and sorrows to come and we tell you that not because we think we're any better than you but because we would rather have you in heaven than in hell. We would rather have you delivered from your sins than living in your sins. We would rather have you rejoicing in the goodness of God than fighting that God all the days of your life. Jesus died and was raised again and has ascended into glory so that those who love him and receive him by faith, though we die, yet shall we live. 
And once we live, we shall never die again in heaven. Paul's closing point, verse 58, the last verse of this remarkable chapter on the resurrection, he says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Pete's going home is not a call for any of us to fall apart at the seams. And I say that with great care. Yes, we are to mourn and we are to grieve, but we are not to fall apart at the seams. Because we engaged yesterday in one of the greatest acts of Christian faith. We put a body in the ground in the sure and certain hope that that body will be raised from the ground. Consequently, how does that affect our lives as Christians? Paul says this, be steadfast, Christian, be steadfast, be steadfast. He embellishes upon that. He says, be immovable, rock solid, trusting in Christ, trusting in God, trusting in the resurrection of the dead, so that... And he doesn't just say continue in doing good works, continue in the kind of service that Pete engaged in. He says abounding in the work of the Lord. When we bury a Christian in faith, we know they will come back to life from the dead on the last day. That should make us abound in good works. If we could sum it up this way, Paul's saying don't give up. Don't collapse under the pressure. And, and he's not saying to us, don't do that because of the memory of your loved one or because Pete wouldn't want us to collapse. All that's true, of course. He's saying, don't give up. Be steadfast, be immovable, because God commands you to. And on the basis of the theology that you believe, live in this way. Hold fast to the confession of your hope. Why? For Pete, he now knows that his labor was not in vain. That's what Paul says, knowing that your labor is not in vain. We can become remarkably discouraged by trials in life, can't we? By trials in the church, trials in our families, difficulties everywhere, and we can just say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm giving up. I'm just not going to put the effort in anymore. We forget that our labor is not in vain. Our works, our service follows us to heaven, Scripture says. Our labor is not in vain. And the well done, thou good and faithful servant is a real moment of praise by the Lord. Friend, if you're not trusting in Christ today, we would have you do so. We would have you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the assurance that when your body is laid to rest, you too shall be raised and enjoy God with his people eternally. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And for those of you who are trusting the Lord, keep trusting the Lord. 
every morning, every evening, every day of your lives. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.